0: See bhakti yoga primary is a path of belief, so you will have to believe you know if you say no, no, but belief is just my imagination, honestly, everything is your imagination no you know and if there is some belief that is liberational, why not use it? you know there are so many people who benefit by placebo, you know so you look at the benefit right if Somebody, let's say uh, a, a novice wants to start on the path of bhakti, the first and foremost thing they need to practice is stay grateful. Gratitude. Because gratitude is going to keep you humble. And when you're humble, your ego is regulated. Always remember that.
1: Welcome to a Curious Yogi podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with sadaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week, you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious welcome back to the show as usual i'm very excited and smiling as i introduce this week's guest coming to us from his home in bombay india Prasad Ragnar is a yoga educator who has taught thousands of students in over 15 countries for the past 27 years. He's been a student practitioner of yoga for the last 37 years, studying both in traditional lineages as well as academically with a master's degree in philosophy. He's been conducting yoga and meditation teacher trainings for over a decade and also runs a free student resource YouTube channel. Prasad's spiritual story, his long periods of silence, and his clear expression and simplified instruction of the deep yogic ideals and how to integrate them into our daily lives totally blew me away. We cover so much in this conversation, including using critical reflections as the beginning of a holistic approach to life, logistics of going into silence as a practice, the various yoga paths and their interconnectedness, and my favorite, the belief, gratitude, and humility of bhakti yoga. Such wisdom, such an honor. Enjoy this one, friends. Welcome to this show, Prasad. I am so just really excited and honored to have you here as someone that is living yoga and as someone that's devoted your life to yoga and I'm really excited to hear about your own sadhana and your own spiritual path apart from your teaching and your offerings. And I I did just mention this before we pressed record but that this podcast really is for the spiritual seeker so it's not necessarily for a yoga teacher or the yoga practitioner the one that does asana, right? It's for anyone that really is seeking that deeper meaning in life, which the wisdom of yoga, as you're going to share with us, really is that. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Bobby. I feel
0: honored to be on the podcast.
1: Yeah, it's really just a delight. I'm so glad to connect with you. And yeah, I had the pleasure of watching a couple of your YouTube videos, reading some of your blogs. So there's lots to discuss, so we'll just get into it. I was what I just hope that you could start by just sharing your story of how you came onto this path and you know, how yoga has shaped shaped your life really and your story.
0: Sure. I mean um my my parents were uh I would say, yogis in their own right, though they did not wake up every morning and do their asanas. But in a way, uh, what they have taught me through their life and through their living is itself yoga. Mm. With, uh, If I could categorize my father, he was uh, uh, a bhakti yogi and jnana yogi. In this sense, not that he was praying every day or something like that, but his complete unflinching trust in the ways of his beloved deity. And my mom was a a karma yogi, embodied karma yogi she was. Um, She lived life for her work, yet managed her duties as a wife, as a mother, She was a fantastic teacher. She was a a headmistress or principal of a huge school. So she was uh, a leader in her own right, yet an empathetic mother and teacher. And so I think uh, by grace of universe or God, however you look at it, I was born in a family, in uh, an ecosystem, which uh, where spirituality came naturally. I would not say religion came naturally. I would say spirituality came naturally. Uh, My mother taught me how to chant. I remember me and my two sisters, we would chant every evening at seven o'clock. We would do little prayers, though I did not understand at that time why we do it. Uh, And uh, we would chant the Bhagavad Gita or some other mantras and then invariably end up having a discussion, you know, at our own kids level, you know, Mm -hmm. like mom, why did Krishna do this? Why did Arjuna refuse to fight? And then my mom would in her own way tell us and we would discuss. That's it. Nothing really. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But then when at the age of nine. Um, My mom was working, my dad was working, and me and my elder sister, who was four years elder to me, we were at home. We had what we call summer vacations, two and a half month break between grades. And uh, she registered us for a one month yoga course when I was nine and my sister was 13. And every morning, diligently, we would go to that yoga class. And that was my first introduction to ways of the body, ways of the breath, ways of calming down. And I remember, I don't know what my mom was thinking, but me and my sister were the only kids. It was basically, it was a class for adults.
1: Oh, wow. So we
0: were like pampered by all the, you know, actually it was class for seniors also. So they were like, they treated us like grandchildren and we used to love going there. So it was a beautiful way to start without pressure and then later on you know i was practicing asanas and pranayama off and on and then you know education and i graduated in, in sciences and then i did my masters but when i was 16 or 17 i had a, a major uh, illness i was bedridden for around three months a lot of things happened you know uh, hepatitis like typhoid and all the other things I was uh, very very bad uh, in physical bad state at that time I had to be at home and my only uh, solace was uh, my home library and for some reason I was never interested in fiction reading fiction like my sisters but the book I picked up was a book on yoga and I just read it and I just read it again and again it was it was as if I don't want to sound mystical or so, but it was almost like I was reading something that is familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was somebody's interpretation of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra and Kundalini Tantra and all that. Uh, I don't, don't even ask me why that book was in my house, but it was there, you know, like Indian families have these libraries with random books. Somebody borrows somebody's book and they forget and all that. So yeah, it was, that really, really struck me. And to make a long story short, uh, I started reflecting. Even though my life was going on to material pursuits, career, and this and that, there was a a strong observer was created somewhere within me, a strong uh, critical reflector was created. That was the same time when I started doubting all the religious gatherings and functions that were happening in my house, and my mom said, if you don't want to attend the prayers don't attend, no problem. So I literally started revolting about with the organized tradition and started my own introspection and reflection. It it just went ahead and ahead and you know to make a long story short, uh, uh, time came when uh, I realized uh, no, I became a fitness trainer, and uh, after a while. I really realized that just training the physical body is not enough. And it was time for me to use my knowledge of asana and pranayama and whatever little philosophy I knew back then to give a holistic approach to my clients. And that was a big hit. People started hiring me and all that. And then I said, no, this is the right way. Just uh, uh, creating an aesthetic body is not enough. I need to teach people how to create, uh, how to live life with an integrated lifestyle program. And yoga has answers to that. Like even in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna discusses sleep, waking up, you know, all these things. I mean, somebody would think that Bhagavad Gita is a spiritual scripture with metaphysical knowledge. It is. But then Krishna also gives equal weightage to lifestyle. You know, we see that in chapter number six. So, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on Bobby. Our podcast would end like this. But a major turning point in my life was the death of my parents, I would say. So they passed away in 2012, both within a span of three months. Wow. And somewhere, uh, that was a huge feeling of abandonment for me. And then when you are left nowhere, when you deeply feel existentially abandoned, you look for something higher. And from 2013 onwards, I started, don't ask me how, but just came to me and I just followed it. I started going into silences. Long silences. So i every year almost every year and this year i did a shorter silence but uh, almost every year i go into 3 months of silence every every year uh, and go go deep into my sadhana and that silence has taught me much much more than any scripture or any training or anything that's my life story in short
1: wow <laughs> yeah there's so much there. I have so many questions. I think it's so interesting that you know when we think when you're sharing your story like seventeen, you're going through a challenging time physically, like you turn towards something that gives you more purpose and meaning, and then fast forward however many years later, when you go through something even. More existentially heartbreaking, which is losing your parents. Which then it's not even your own body; it's that space of support that then one turns to, like you said, something higher. Do you think that? Do you think that for a person that gets sparked on a spiritual path, like we all? I know for me, it was the same. Like some grand disillusionment, where like this can't be it. This suffering has to lead me to something more and then we take the path which we take like for you you said it was the silence which I that's pretty powerful
0: (laughs) yeah I mean I would not say like for everybody it has to be some traumatic trigger some people I know some people who just you know they are so much in the so-called in quotes flow or or in the in the flow of grace that things just reveal to them organically, without any Mm -hmm. strong trigger. But with some, triggers wake them up. And with some, triggers don't wake them up. So somewhere, you know, like there is so much suffering in the world, but not everybody awakens to deeper metaphysical introspection, Mm -hmm. right? So there is something more than the obvious. There is something more, I would like to believe that I have a very, very critical mind, but still I would like to believe that uh, there is that uh, invisible hand.
1: Mm Yeah, like the innate power, which gives us the power to question, which, you know, even it sounds like as a boy, you were curious. Like I loved when you expressed that you were asking your mom, like why did Arjun, Arjuna not fight? And like to have satsang with your mom as a young boy and to have that inquiry from a young age, like some people just don't have that and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the one who seeks really, you're right, is a questioner. And for some, you know, it's... For some people, it might be confusion or disillusionment, but for others, it could be that critical mind that's questioning everything.
0: Correct. Or also, in my life, I would say, you know, like I mentioned, there were in our home library, you could say there were around 150, 200 books. Most of them were novels. But why did I pick up that you know, interpretation of Yoga Sutra? Mm-hmm. You see, there were very good novels, you know, because my, it was my sister's and my father's collection. So, but why did I pick up a yoga book as a seventeen-year-old teenager? You know, so that is—I stopped reflecting on it anymore because I just—I said, you know, I let go of it. But it's not for my analytical mind to figure out why that happened. But it happened, and I'm happy where I am. So,
1: okay. mm-hmm. yeah, and leaving that space in our lives—just we to under to know we can't know why those things happen, like the mystery or the un. You know, I, what did you say? the The hand,
0: invisible hand of invisible God.
1: Invisible hand of God. Yes, I love that.
0: Sometimes I say that, and I really believe. I I have stopped figuring out life. I focused my attention on figuring out myself.
1: Yeah. And
0: when I did that, that was a very very strong turn in how in how I approach life, how I approach people, how I approach myself. It was a completely different worldview to operate from
1: would you say that view was expanded during your silence um, yes yes every,
0: every time I come out of silence I it's like a, you know like how we step out of a cinema theater into the sun and then you have to really take a few seconds to orient yourself that okay now I'm out of the theater now I'm into the Light and alright, get my bearings on, and then carry on. Like it, it happens like that. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because the the wisdom lessons from every silence are uh, pulled in to my life, my normal life. So literally, I go into silence to gather some nuggets of wisdom, and then come back, and then you know, literally plug them into the riddle of life and then solve the riddle a little and then go back again in silence and get some more letters to solve the riddle of life and then go back. And yeah, so I've, that's it really.
1: Is there, when when you feel called to go into silence, is it kind of now you've done it so many times, like an inner knowing, you're like, okay, I'm feeling the pull to go towards it or is it something, how does that work for you?
0: No, it's not like, uh, no, I plan it, Mm -hmm. you know, I have to keep in mind my work also. So it's not, it's, for me, it's like normal, you know, it's like for, like, if you took, take one day as a span of time, and then you, you know, when you have to go to bed, and then everything is quiet. So for me, that span is like one year, and I know when I should go into silence. Mm -hmm. Like I came out of silence last week, and from tomorrow, my activity starts so everything is planned it's not like i just you know mm-hmm. get mystically called and i disappear no not not so much also right because right. it's it's very clear when i when i go into silence i'm i'm really not around that's why i bobby i messaged you i wrote to you after almost a month yeah. right so yeah uh, I, i'm not there i'm not there in connection and i don't miss it also because it's a completely different uh, yeah, it's like okay. Now I'm in silence. It's it's like I, I I move my head to look at a different picture, and then after silence is over, I move my head and I look somewhere else. It's really like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it's
0: very very simple and objective. It's, there's no, there's no not even an iota of uh, mystical element to it.
1: Yeah, I love how you said just said that it was simple because in my mind, I'm just. I'm like, it's pretty radical in this world, in this time that we live in, in, you know, 2022 to commit to that. And for someone listening, like, you know, wow, that seems radical. But for you, it's become such a part of your life that it's, it seems simple.
0: Like my ecosystem is also ready for it. Like my friends and my close circle, they're, oh, you're going into silence. Okay. So they know that I'm not reachable and, you know and oh we'll miss you and then oh they're waiting too for me to come back and i'm waiting so it's like it's literally like going to bed and you're switched off to the world and then you wake up and then you're switched on to the world it's really like that not mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a mystical thing to go to bed no so for, for me it's the same thing
1: right and i'm just curious like logistically do you go to like an like a retreat space or how do you cultivate that silence in your life like Where do you go for
0: that? Uh, Yeah. So I'm a city boy. I was born in Bombay and you've been to India so many times. You know how Indian cities can get. So for me, when I say silence, it is an internal adjustment. You know, not, you know, uh, it's not that I will not talk. Like if I go to uh, buy vegetables, I have to say, give me one kilo of this and all. But minimum minimum you know bare minimum survival speech Mm -hmm. you know and things like that i have done extreme silences but now i feel like i have done a silence where i was for 50 days locked in locked up in a room and i would get uh meals every friday and then i would conserve those meals i had a refrigerator and everything so i would conserve those meals and but then I realize that there's no need for me to do such extreme things. And, you know, I alter the intensity and everything. So for me, it's very, it's very matter-of-factly I approach it. And uh, the more simple I keep it in my head, the more grounded I stay. Mm. This is important for me. To still be rooted no matter how high I fly in my silences.
1: Wow, that's really powerful. Like, you know, you're kind of like the modern yogi. That's like a cave yogi, you know. And I think back of like thousands of years ago, a yogi in the Himalayas going into his cave for silence. You're like, this is the world that we live in, and to cultivate the silence and the rootedness in the silence, even when the life is going around, like, and it's it's loud around, but the silence is within, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I have no uh, animosity towards the world. So I have not, like I told you, I have silence, this calling for silence came to me very organically and I and I followed it. So it was not like I was upset with the world and I said no and I went inward. Not like this. So when I'm in the world, for me, world is real. When I'm in silence, for me, that world is real. Both are equally real because it's the reality that I create. So I have nothing against, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, this word is so bad and nothing like that. Where I am, I am.
1: Yeah. And it, it sounds like how you experience or practice silence as a part of your sadhana, it's, it can be sort of the same with yoga. When we were just talking before that yoga is quite often expressed as something you do and I'm wondering if you could expand on that and you know you're someone who lives yoga so
0: see uh, traditionally yoga is known as marga marga in Sanskrit means path path is not a point path is a line and in this sense yoga is a process it's it's a process in which you come to finally realize your true nature true self so it is much more than bending into a posture it is much more than praying to a certain god it is much much more than modalities see in the current yogic uh, narrative: We have been told that yoga is a modality. Modality means you go there and you do that. But modality is not the whole of yoga. It's a process. It you have to look at it like that. It's like an uh, it's like a uh, like a human person uh, goes from infancy to. Childhood to preteen, teen, teen, youth, adult, life just grows in you and you grow. Same way, yoga, yoga grows in you and you grow through yoga. And that's why when I teach teacher trainings or courses, this is the first thing I tell students is be patient with yourself. Because if you read the scriptures and, you know, the yogis will say that maturation through yoga process happens over lifetimes. And uh, yoga truly is a process and it has to be looked at in a very, very integrated way. Like we have been told that, oh, Hatha Yoga means exercise. Bhakti Yoga is only for emotional people. Karma yoga is for active people. I really don't see it like that. They are not silos. They are overlapping, interacting uh, orientations of bringing you to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, like I have I have legit seen people say, oh, you're a bhakti yogi. Nah, I'm a hatha yogi. <laughs> you can't know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, yeah, I mean, anyway. Uh, but you cannot just be karma yogi and not a bhakti yogi. Because bhakti is ultimately a, a, a path of faith, a path of trust. If you don't trust in something bigger than your ego, how will you work as a karma yogi? And you cannot be a bhakti yogi without karma. Because if you are in on a path of trust and faith, you cannot... Leave everything to God and uh, allow God to, you know, deposit salary into your account every month. God is not going to do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, all these paths are highly, highly interactive. You cannot really uh, isolate them. And in this sense, yoga is a process. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to grow through yoga Mm -hmm. and come back to yourself. You know, the example I give usually, Bobby, is that uh, it's like, you know, those village, uh, what do you call, fairs, right? And there are lots of exciting, uh, there's a Ferris wheel and there's this uh, different kinds of, you know, you shoot the balloons and this and that. So imagine you are like a child, uh, you're holding the hands of your parents and you are in that fair, And you are so taken by the Ferris wheel and the merry-go-round and all those prizes and all the teddy bears and all those uh, you know candies that you let go of the hand of your parents, and you're just looking at all those rides, and you've just forgotten that you came to this fair with your parents, and and you you just forgotten that you came. And now you're alone. But you are still so uh, entranced by those rides and excitement. This is what has happened to us. You know? And
1: mm-hmm.
0: yoga is basically a, pa- a way of
1: going back to ourselves. Yeah. I, I When you were speaking, I was thinking of my own path and how I often get stuck in this concept of right and wrong. Like I have to be acting one way as a yogi or another way. And my guru, he would always say like every path leads to back home or every path leads to the self. But where is there space for the one who's on the yogi's path where like there's space for individuality like where how I walk the path of yoga is going to be different than how you walk the path but yet we're on it together but where is the space for the individual yogi as we start to expand the awareness to the space of the whole
0: there is a lot of space and it's funny you should talk this because I had a half an hour talk with my sister about this today at lunchtime <laughs> that because we discuss a lot of things like this and we were like, you know, in this whole oneness and we are all one, it's all nice, but you should not allow your individuality to fade in our idea of oneness. No. In, I believe individuality is very, very important. Um, uh, you cannot reach spiritual heights by denying your individuality or by escaping from your individuality. Because, you know, I like this phrase, the only way out is through. Yeah, The only way out is through. So if you want to come out, you have to go through you. And if you have to go through you, you have to recognize how you are. You have to accept who you are. And then transform. Mm -hmm. If you don't accept and recognize your false self, you will fake a true self for you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, when, like in a typical, perhaps I'm using strong terms here, but uh, in a typical yogic uh, formula, they would say, recognize your false self and then destroy it. Don't imagine yourself into a true self. Then you will be in a very, very paradoxical state. You will feel you are your true self, but the false self will still be there. This is called that spiritual uh, megalomania, you know, or spiritual ego.
1: Yes, I was going to say that. It's and you see it in a lot of places because, like, in a lot of new agey yoga kind yes. of inspired <laughs> circles, you we said. see this quite a bit because, like you said, the going through it seems like there's a tendency and maybe it's human nature, maybe it's the mind just trying to preserve itself, that there's a skipping over of the churning, the going through, the questioning, the silence, exactly. the inquiry, like that's not celebrated in this world or like encouraged. It's like, you know, it, it skips forward and you see that sometimes. And I'm like a more, I feel like I'm a subtle person. So sometimes I can kind of sense that. And It can be misleading for one that's on a spiritual path because how to know where is their genuine egolessness and where is their spiritual ego? Yeah,
0: yeah. uh, Bobby, this is a topic for another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, it's beautiful how our conversation is flowing. And you, you said it very rightly. And I want to point out something 20 years ago. Well, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I freshly got into the popular culture of spirituality. The the desired term was enlightenment. And there was a specific uh, uh, denotion to that, that this is enlightenment. And then suddenly, 8, 10 years ago, a new word started coming, awakening. And awakening was not enlightenment. Awakening is just you realized that, oh, okay, this is how the world is. And then that awakening was celebrated as enlightenment. You see, so literally we dumped down the degrees of wisdom for some people to sell their website or videos. Literally, literally, it's the dumbing down process, you know, like the whole of yoga has become asana, uh, the whole of Tantra has become sexual practices. Same way, the whole of final Samadhi has become awakening. And then then there is this, uh, today I was drinking tea and I looked outside on a tree and suddenly I awakened. Good for you, but you know, I mean, fine. Anyway, so the point that I'm making is, the answer to what you asked me is, focus on yourself. Hmm. if somebody if your neighbor wants to enlighten well good for you if your brother wants to awaken congratulations focus on yourself because spirituality is not competitiveness Mm -hmm. and I really really appreciate Bobby that you uh, pointed out the whole question of individuality because this is something that really really I am struck by you know like people want to be spiritual like someone else this is wrong you know or, or the bandwagon as they call you no know, bandwagon uh, syndrome mm-hmm. oh everybody is spiritually awakening like this okay so i will also you know they just follow there is zero critical uh, critical approach mm-hmm. over why can you cite some scriptures? Can you give me some example? No. Oh, it's like this. Okay, like this. So I really appreciate that, that you asked this. But I would again say, just, that's why it's called look inward. No, focus mm-hmm. on yourself. It is not selfish. Yeah. You know, centering in self is not being self-centered.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's a good differentiation. And when you were speaking, I was reminded of, Something that was written on your website, which was yoga as self transformation, so if one is yeah. moving through self transformation, like you know we're moving towards the highest self, the higher self, but still we have to move through the lower self, and I think it's something Perfect. to to really remind i know myself of and other people who are on this path that sometimes can seem long and daunting and we want results now we want to know i'm transformed and that's kind of the world that we live in so like looking at yoga rather as a counter to that that this is actually not some a quick fix like if you want a quick fix transformation don't come to yoga but we absolutely it gets missed sometimes i think Or forgotten,
0: maybe. Yes, in the in the popular culture, in the in the economic terms of yoga, it gets because it's sold as a um, recreational modality of feel good. You know, like come to my class, you will feel better. Fine, you you will feel better, but you know, I have seen so many people just cry the whole class they don't feel better in a yoga class especially pranayamas there are some people who can't close their eyes and meditate you cannot generalize these things Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it takes it takes courage to to do that to go inward like you just said and i'm also because i was just on your website i'm just reflecting on something else that you said you wrote a blog post which was that spiritual surrender is not a defeat And like actually the courage it takes to go inward like that. And it's not surprising that a lot of people can't hold that capacity to close their eyes and breathe in pranayama or do the deep inner work.
0: This is why, you know, studentship is important, Bobby. You know, finding your teacher, becoming a student, not allowing the charms of, I'm a yoga teacher, affect you. Being in your humility, these are very very important things, you know, like I was telling a student of mine yesterday that it's it's interesting i'm not I'm not criticizing it at all, but it's interesting that most of us yoga teachers, have become teachers first, and then we are trying to become students you know this is this is diametrically opposite of how yoga was traditionally you know you 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 had to have a permission from your teacher your guru to start spreading the wisdom now you get a certificate you feel you are a teacher and after you start teaching you realize I am not good enough because you have never been a student and that's And that's why so many people, so many yoga teachers end up with self-doubt. They are right. You know, so I would say studentship and finding your teacher is also a big process. You know, I'm sure you know this. You know, it's not that every teacher is for you and it is okay. So there is some trial and error. You'll have to go to 10 teachers, see who you vibe with, see what kind of teachings you want. Once you find your teacher, establish a relation keep teaching, keep growing, you know, keep consulting. That is the way. Mm -hmm. But then everybody's at their own state to figure it out. So I'm not like generalizing it, but it is important. It's not just about uh, I do yoga twice a week and then the rest of the time I do whatever I want. No, it's not like
1: that. Yeah, it's definitely not the way it is everywhere, but it is good to be reminded of, the humility that comes along with being a student with, you know, in the Buddhist tradition, it's described as the beginner's mind, like to come with that sense of openness that I have so much to discover and learn for myself, but that like to remember that and to especially when one is teaching or moving towards sharing the wisdom of yoga, like you said, to have to to do the the inner work as well the inner churning yeah because
0: ultimately you don't want your yoga teacher identity to become one more roadblock you see here the whole process of yoga is about coming out of identities roles and responsibilities Mm -hmm. and then just just because you do a 21 day 200 hour teacher training suddenly you have one new identity to deal with
1: yeah that's so yeah, true yeah. yeah the de-identification becomes much more challenging when you've got something yes. which you know and especially a teacher you know it's okay to, to be a, a a daughter or a student like you know it all comes with these additional attachments and then to say oh i'm a teacher Wow, that's yeah. that's you know going backwards if you will. And I know it's yeah. not really linear, yeah. but um before when you were you briefly touched we were speaking about the different paths of the karma yogi and the bhakti yogi. Mm-hmm. I would love to just expand on that a little bit and you know if you can share with us how those paths are different and unique but yet, you know, we all or all of them if we're walking this path
0: yeah they are unique paths because um they use different you could say it's not the right word but i'll still use it material to take you to the end they have basically okay they're different vehicles to the same end okay now um They are not like separate vehicles. Like once I board karma yoga, oh, I can never be a bhakti yogi. It's not like that. Because ultimately, all these paths are, if I have to give the goal of these paths, all these paths are wanting to create a regulated mind. That's it. Mm -hmm. Once the mind is under self-regulation, it will reach samadhi. And in Samadhi, you will realize your true nature. So, karma, bhakti, hatha, jnana, laya, mantra, whichever path you take, the job responsibility of that path is to calm down your mind and to make your mind, to use the technical term, ekagra, one-pointed. Because... Samadhi will not happen unless your mind is Mm one-pointed. So Hatha Yoga will use the energetic pathway. Bhakti Yoga will use the pathway of trust. I do not say necessarily emotions. Karma Yoga will use the pathway of work. Jnana Yoga will use the pathway of acute reasoning and detachment. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. the beauty is once you board one path other paths will start contributing to you Mm -hmm. for example I am a married person I have two children, I have a wife I have a job, I have responsibilities no way I can go in three months of silence like Prasad so what should I do I start following teachings of karma and Beginning, the starting teaching of Karma Yoga is I will do everything that I have to do honestly and for the surrender to God. Means I will not make the my work or my actions egotistical. I will surrender them to something that is higher than my ego. You can call it God or universe or whatever. Now that is bhakti. Why? If I don't surrender to something that's higher than my ego, I will become egotistical. And if I keep becoming egotistical, it will keep me away from my true nature. Mm -hmm. So I start off as a karma yogi, but somewhere the variable of bhakti comes in. And when bhakti and karma come together, I start realizing how I am, how deluded I am. Oh my God. How how many issues I have <laughs> and you recognize it, that is jnana yoga. Like this, like this, like this, you go, 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 and one time comes when your just mind is just, just quiet. It just gives up. That time samadhi kicks in. That's
1: it. Yeah, it's I loved hearing you so brilliantly put them bring them all to the point of samadhi and when I think of my own experience of what these different as if types or paths mm. not types but yeah channels mm. of of yoga and how to live yoga. You know, when we think of bhakti yoga, it's very often, like you said before, taken as for like the emotional person, the soft person, but it goes back to what you had written before that spiritual surrender is not a defeat like to bow down to that is actually such a great strength that is maybe not as um, widely practiced in the world
0: yeah because bhakti is uh, promoted as singing or uh, wearing exotic clothes and dancing yeah i mean i've had people you know Once in Goa, I was staying in an area which is very famous for its multiple schools. And I was sitting in a cafe and I started talking to a few students. And uh, I said, oh, are they teaching you? Uh, No, two of the girls, they they said, no, we can't be bhakti yogis because we don't play harmonium. (laughs) Oh my God. "Why?" (laughs) Why? No, because uh, Bhakti Yoga is not my path because my voice is not good and the other said I don't play Harmonium. And I said, what has your voice got to do and Harmonium playing ability got to do with Bhakti Yoga? you know? Where actually Bhakti Yoga is a path of total unflinching trust towards whatever you call it, okay? I'm not necessarily saying God because not many people know there's a whole atheistic bhakti yoga too in the Indic scene. Not all bhakti yoga has to be a bhakti of a god in form. Yeah, so there is equal opportunity to everybody. If you don't want to worship the divine or the universe in name and form, no problem, you worship it as Om. You worship it as universal consciousness. Krishna says this in chapter number 12. Krishna says to Arjuna, you can worship me as in the universal consciousness in any way, in form or without form, doesn't matter. But he clarifies, if you worship the divine without form, it's little difficult. Hmm. Okay, no problem. Yeah, so in the yogic scene, a scientist, a mathematician, Maybe a mathematician is trying to solve the mystery of God and he's more bhakti yogi than somebody who goes to temple every day. So bhakti yoga is, I really feel, it's an underutilized path of yoga in modern scene because of religious connotations and sectarian connotations and all that, which I understand. And that's why I'm actually doing a course uh, next month about actually this month, about Bhakti Yoga, to just, number one, to um, reconcile scriptures and science. And number two, to make Bhakti Yoga more accessible, uh, more than, oh, I can't sing Bhakti Yoga, and, you know, I'm not into God, or, but it's religious. I just want to release the connotations of Bhakti Yoga from these restrictions.
1: Mm-hmm. I love even the name of your course the brain on bhakti it's like to, yes. I love it's a brilliant way to play on that that science and trust you know that we can put science and bhakti together as as one and the same and how to yeah. utilize it that in that way but
0: even neurologically bobby neurologically also there's a growing evidence that we are wired for spirituality and i'm going to talk about it we are wired spirituality is passed genetically there are many experiments there are literally parts of your brain which uh respond to however you define spirituality you know in experiments that is defined but uh, we are wired to mysticism we are wired to spirituality we are wired to something more than our own individuality and i have woven that in my conversation in the course
1: it sounds like it's a good course for the skeptics. Exactly. And I, I'm really curious. I think I would love to take the course, so I hope that I get to take it as well. And I don't want you to give away too much of the course, but if I'm thinking of my own practices or you know other curious yogis that are listening, how can we start to bring bhakti yoga into practice into our daily life that's not you know chanting kirtans okay. and playing harmonium
0: beautiful 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 question see bhakti yoga primarily is a part of belief so you will have to believe you know if you say no no but belief is just my imagination honestly everything is your imagination no you know and if there is some belief That is liberational. Why not use it? You know, there are so many people who benefit by placebo, you know. So, you look at the benefit, (laughs) right? So, uh, if somebody, let's say uh, a, a novice, wants to start on the path of bhakti, the first and foremost thing they need to practice is stay grateful, gratitude. Because gratitude is going to keep you humble. And when you're humble, your ego is regulated. Always remember that. You know, if you're humble, your ego is regulated. And gratitude, you know, just yesterday I wrote a post on Facebook that don't, uh, don't get so carried away by your future plans that you forget to thank what you have in the present. This is exactly. You know, stay grateful. Stay hopeful. Believe. Believe. I'm not saying, I'm not saying believe in some God sitting on a cloud or some God behind the sun. Nothing. I'm just saying believe that things will turn out well for you. Believe that you're cosmically cared for. Believe that you are not worthless. You have to start believing. You know, it's called bhava in bhakti. It's called bhava, means the feel. Feel. Bhakti bhava. Actually, in in Indian languages, both these words go together. Like when when you're singing the name of the Lord, you're dancing in bliss. That is the feel. So you have to start feeling. Wow. I mean, yeah, whatever it is, you know, for one month, 2023, just tell yourself that I am going to believe that everything is, is going to turn out well. That's your start of bhakti. You see, there's no God. I mean, if you are taken to some divine ideal or even motivational ideal, doesn't matter, you, you go in line with that. But if you're like a complete atheist, you know, then just, just believe. Whatever, you want to call it positive mindset? No problem, that is also but <laughs> Because they, they actually in my course, there is one whole chapter on Krishna's promise. And that is belief. Arjuna could fight the war and win the war because he believed in Krishna. He did not believe in himself, but he believed in Krishna.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah trust and that trust he trusted yes -hmm.
0: Yes. and coming from India which is land of bhakti as you know I can tell you that majority of people pray to God but don't trust God you see it's very easy to go to the temple but it's very difficult to uh, trust God
1: more of a fear God
0: yes i mean i have a simple question if if you believe in god if you say you believe in god then why are you anxious of the future that means your your belief in god it may be there but it's not up to the mark where it can dilute the fear and this is if you really read bhagavad gita krishna reminds about this or ever every every chapter is this saying you know, think of me and fight is a line from Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna, I understand your mental state right now. I cannot expect you to rise like a phoenix. Forget all that. Just think of me and fight. Or he says in in another chapter that surrender to me. I will take care of everything. You see, so the 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 start of bhakti is in believing in something that is bigger, grander, more positive, liberating, than your limited ego. That's it. This is the atheist definition of bhakti yoga.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, beautiful. Usually I ask the guests at the end of the show to leave us with any words of wisdom, but I feel like you've left so many nuggets of wisdom that this is a beautiful point to wind up. And I also... I can want... leave
0: one... Bobby, oh, if yes.
1: You if you have more, please. We I have can time.
0: only one word. Okay. Only one word. Simplify.
1: Beautiful. And I'd also just want to just thank you because it's interesting when, you know, in my own sadhana, I don't know about other people, but you, you start to work towards something or contemplate or dig something that's happening in life or that's causing um some inspiration to go inward and for me for the last like about year it's been trust and conviction trust and conviction that's what just keeps coming up for me is is the doubt and then i have to move towards the trust and everything you've said in this conversation has just sort of reiterated that for me that to just keep moving on that and i just Perfect. really is beautiful I really appreciate that. And just like you said, we don't know why we got connected. We just got connected and I heard yeah. so much, you know, this podcast is also selfish because it's for me and it's, and I got so much from this conversation. Um, so thank you so much. Prisash. Thank you
0: so much, Bobby. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I really appreciate how the conversation just f- flow, flew, how, how, flew and flow both, <laughs> you know, and your ability to just listen. You are a very good listener. And I also accept that I am sometimes I talk too much. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to express myself.
1: Very beautiful. And then just, um, I'll put it in the show notes, but where can the uh, listeners connect with you or sign up for the brain on Bhakti course?
0: Uh, They can connect with me on Instagram. uh, And um, The Bhakti course, the registration is on my website, prasadrangnekar.com. Or if they join me on the Instagram, then the link is in the bio of Instagram. So it's very accessible.
1: Great. And the course starts at the middle of October, I think?
0: Middle of October. It's five weeks. And uh, it's a contemplative course. So I'm not going to tell you this is like this. No. We will sit together. We will talk and we will exchange and we will reflect because the whole idea is to set it out, set it free from dogma. So I don't want to give a dogma to set you free from another dogma. I'm just going to, this is how it is. This is this perspective. This is this perspective. Now you reflect and make your own ideas about it.
1: Beautiful. Going just back to what we were saying before about, you know, you take, you have your individual, contemplation of whatever is put there it's not we just don't take it at face value right yeah yeah Absolutely. well thank you again so much prasad i really hope to connect with you when i'm in india next and sure um,
0: definitely it'll be fun
1: and um yeah just really beautiful to meet you and thanks for sharing you your do. wisdom and thanks your energy so on the show
0: thanks so much bye
1: thanks for listening to this episode of a curious yogi podcast If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social, and of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love, and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.